Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents I'm Stephen Ellis I'm Robert Wolfson And it's winter First snowfall in Calgary, roads were terrible yesterday And of course not everyone has their winter tires on yet and Rob, cold too, not just yeah. snow. Like I was thinking snow, it'll melt right away, but no, it's cold and it's going to be cold for a bit, I guess. Yeah, and I think what happened is normally we get cold and we get snow, so it still is not fun, but it's not terrible. But we had, it was kind of not too bad the day before, so we kind of had some rain, which froze, and then snow on top of right. it, which made it very treacherous on the roads. Yeah, and scraping the windshield if your car was yes. outside was awful. Yeah, yeah it went right from... Uh, Fall to winter in a quick hurry. Yeah, definitely. So, Rob, I should apologize to the listeners for just defaulting to weather. I always say that's like the lazy discussion. Talk about the weather. Exactly. Right? It's like asking someone what they do for a living. It's just kind of like the lazy default discussion. Well, more exciting for you, though, Steve, yesterday was the start of the NBA season. I know you're a big Raptors fan. That's right. That is exciting. Uh, the Raptors are a bit of an unknown this year. It's going to be interesting to see how they shake out. Well, you can decide what's more depressing to either look at the snow outside, watch the Raptors, or watch your New York football giants. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about it, Rob. I do not want to talk about it. Although they did win this last weekend, so uh, you know I'm not too upset about that. Yeah, and divisional, which divisional is rival, and my brother's favorite team. The good news is, is that oh, that's that's great, yeah, right? Yeah, bragging rights in the family. Exactly. My, my team didn't lose last week, but also they were on a bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, neutral. Bit of a neutral week for you. Yeah, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. There is talk of potentially trading Saquon Barkley. And for those of you who don't know who that is, it's the star running back and yeah. probably the only really decent player on the team. He is, not probably. <laughs> yeah. Although I've got some good defensive yeah, players. But he also, I think he wants to stay. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's a good place to live, I guess. Yeah. So, Rob, we've got a return guest with us today. Yeah, we're so happy to have Warren Hastings back. He's our lead investment strategist on our Global Portfolio Advisor Group. He's here to deliver and update us on what's happening in the world today, the economy, the markets. He was on back in May, I believe. So for the listeners can go back and hear what he had to say back then about his thoughts. But he's here to uh, yeah, just give us an update on what's happening out there in the world. So it's going to be a two-hour episode today. <laughs> he's going to go through everything that's happening. So it's going to be two hours yeah, probably. There is lots happening for sure. Lots happening, but we'll try and get Warren to keep things pretty concise and hopefully uh, everyone leaves with some good information. Yeah. And just as a refresher for those who don't remember, Warren's career started back in 2005. He joined what we call our GPEG team, our Global Portfolio Advisory Group, back in 2013. And he's currently responsible for the management and oversight of the group's equities, fixed income, and strategy teams. And before that, he was a research associate with Scotiabank covering the North American Telecom and Cable Company. So he's got lots of experience. Right. And I can't believe you memorized his entire biography like I did. that. It's a, just off the cuff. It's a skill that I have. Right. So without further ado, let's welcome Warren to the podcast. Welcome, Warren. Well, thank you very much, Robert, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be back. So, Warren, let's let's jump right into it. I know our listeners are eager to, uh, to hear your thoughts. Let's start on a, a macro basis and talk a bit about the 
global economy. There's a lot of possible outcomes for the global economy that we've seen recently. Rob and I kind of alluded to things being all over the map, so to speak. So maybe you can just talk about why that is and, and what do you think happens with the, uh, in regards to the global economy? There have been a variety of views about uh, what way the global economy uh, happens to go. Uh, Everything from uh, terms that have been uh, bandied about like uh, soft landing, uh, which is to say that inflation that world uh, central banks have been grappling with is brought under control without leading to recession to uh, a recession outcome and uh, different uh, severities of that. And this divergence uh, in views has uh, persisted for for some time, ever since the world started grappling with uh, unexpectedly high inflation about uh, uh, 18 to 24 months ago. And, And part of the reason was uncertainty and uncertainty about uh, how aggressive uh, central banks would hike and how the global economy would react uh, to central banks taking steps to bring uh, inflation under control. Uh, and so far, uh, there hasn't been indication, despite all of the tightening, uh, the increase in interest rates, uh, and the high inflation that uh, businesses, consumers, and governments have been grappling with, there haven't been the telltale signs of recession uh, that we have seen in the past. Uh, labor markets remain strong, and consumers and businesses generally uh, have been able to spend and generated uh, decent profitability. We don't think that persists. Uh, and so if uh, we divide the world into soft landing forecasts and recession forecasts, we would be in the latter. Uh, We think the lagged effects of high inflation, of tighter monetary policy, uh, eventually will meet up with a globe that has never been as indebted as it is right now and lead to lower demand, something breaking in the global economy akin to what happened last March and bring about a slowdown in global economic growth. So that helps to explain the divergence of views that are out there and where we land uh, uh, in within that spectrum. So you did mention inflation a few times there, Warren, and it does seem to be easing in many parts of the world. Even last week in Canada, we saw it come down to 3.8%. And even in, as recently as this morning, Bank of Canada held interest rates steady at 5%. So is it safe to say that most central banks are done with rate hikes? Well, that's what markets seem to believe, but inflation has proven to be quite sticky and uh, it has lasted or persisted at at relatively high levels, so above the call it 2% that many central banks target, um, longer than many economists and market participants would believe. Uh, now, futures markets, which can, uh, which allow investors to price in uh, what they believe central bank policy rates will be at different part, different times in the future, would suggest that most major central banks um, are at or close to the end of their tightening cycle. I, there aren't many, uh, if any, more rate hikes in the forecast. But the direction that central banks take, uh, many of them adhere to 
a data-dependent uh, philosophy, which means that they're going to react to inflation. And remember, uh, central banks target uh, inflation because it's an indication of price stability. You don't want an economy where prices are rising at more than 2% every year because that just leads to individuals trying to get ahead of those price increases. By the same token, they don't want prices declining by more than 2% uh, or increasing by less than 2% or, or outright declining. Because in those situations, investors or economic participants simply sit on their hands and nothing happens. So they target price stability and the future path of policy rates, not only in Canada, but uh, in other parts of the economy, really will depend on whether inflation is brought back to target levels. Right now, it looks like it's heading there, uh, but it is still, in many parts of the world, well above those targets. So markets believe that most of the heavy lifting, uh, as far as central bank policy rate increases go, is done. But uh, inflation will ultimately make that uh, determination, and that has been a difficult metric to predict. So, Warren, one of the things you mentioned earlier as well was that labor markets have held up quite well. So why do you think uh, recession will still occur when labor markets have held up and we're seeing unemployment at near all-time lows? Truth is, uh, unemployment is a, a lagging indicator. So if I had to look at a variety of macroeconomic indicators, GDP growth, uh, unemployment rate, inflation rates, uh, market rates of interest, um, one of the last things that I would look at as an indication of whether we were in recession or not would be the unemployment rate. Because oftentimes, that unemployment rate doesn't peak until after a recession has ended. So it's not a really good uh, predictor of whether we'll be in recession and strong labor markets in advance, uh, even very close to the start of recession, are the norm. Uh, they are not the exception. So uh, saying that uh, we are unlikely to have a recession because labor markets are strong right now doesn't really hold, is, in, is inconsistent uh, with the, the trend of economic data uh, from prior recessions. Now, Warren, taking a, look at, taking a look at the equity market, stocks have really been under pressure the recent months. I mean, year-to-date performance in Canada is relatively flat. American markets have done better but uh, you take out the Magnificent Seven and really even the equal weight S&P 500, the biggest 500 companies in the U.S. are really relatively flat as well year to date. Do you see this as an opportunity to increase exposure to the asset class? Not quite yet. Uh, and we'll get into this in just a little bit. Uh, it's always important to have a mixture of asset classes within a portfolio. So there's always going to be some exposure to equities. But in terms of increasing equity exposure, we don't think we're in the clear quite yet. Uh, and that's because there's an inconsistency between expected earnings growth uh, and what happens to earnings growth during a recession. Remember, one of the key drivers of stock market performance is earnings growth. And uh, if we're in, in, for, in, for, in for a recession, um, it so happens that a contraction in the economy leads to a contraction in corporate earnings. And that, because of that relationship we talked about, usually leads to a drawdown uh, in equities. And what we haven't seen yet is a contraction 
in corporate earnings estimates. So most investors believe that corporate earnings are due to actually increase or expand. Uh, whereas if recession uh, is the likely outcome, and that's what we believe will happen, we should see earnings estimates heading in the other direction. So right now, the equity market, uh, based on investor forecasts, is primed for earnings growth and likely in advance. Whereas we think earnings are due to contract and stocks are probably likely to follow. Uh, that could lead to a more protracted pullback in stocks than many investors are currently positioned for. And that's part of the reason we're a bit hesitant on that asset class. Once we see economic, economic um, forecasts and earnings uh, expectations better aligned with one another, i.e. both heading down at the same time, uh, we'd feel more comfortable about adding exposure uh, to the stock market. Now, as an extension of that question, Warren, um, most of our clients we've been talking to a lot of them lately, they hold what we call our typical blue chip, dividend paying, low risk stocks, your banks, your real estate, your utilities, your pipelines. They've really been lagging as well lately. Uh, why have they sold off so much? Well, a lot of it has to do uh, with the increase in the risk-free rate or government bond interest rates. Uh, those have perked up to the tune of about 90 or 100 basis points, both sides of the border, uh, depending on your, your frame of reference, over a year-to-date period. And dividend-paying stocks, and often people own dividend-paying stocks for the yield, well, they've got to compete with that risk-free rate. So if you're uh, getting another 1% yield effectively on a risk-free instrument, well, then every other risky instrument, including blue-chip dividend-yielding stocks, has got to compete with that. There are two ways that can happen. One is dividend increases give you that extra 1% in yield, or conversely, the prices of those dividend-yielding stocks fall um, so that for the same dividend, the yield is higher. And given companies often can't increase uh, dividends at the rate necessary to keep pace with the increase in government bond yields we've seen this year, you've seen a sell-off in, in high-yielding and, uh, and blue-chip stocks around the world and in Canada as well. And that helps to explain some of the weakness uh, that we've seen uh, in the blue chip equity space. And in Canada in particular, those are the sorts of stocks that people own for dividend income. So it doesn't have much to do with the the quality or it's uh, less a statement of about the quality of those businesses. Many of them will remain durable franchises for years to come and more to do with the changes in the interest rate environment uh, as a result of uh, sell-off in the bond market this year. So Warren, we can't talk about yields without addressing fixed income. So are bonds in the same boat as stocks? A little bit of a different story there. We think uh, there is more opportunity in the bond market. And that has to do uh, with, uh, that has 
has to do with a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the yields that are available within the fixed income market, even the risk-free government bond market, are the highest they've been in over a decade. So there's an uh, ability for investors to lock in yields that they haven't seen going back almost to the, the global financial crisis. The second benefit of the bond market at this point as we see it is if our economic forecast plays out, i.e. the world uh, heads into recession, we're likely to see a shift in investor uh, demand for fixed income instruments, particularly particularly uh, the safest of those instruments, the safe haven assets like long-dated government bonds issued by the U.S. or the Canadian government, um, even some of those in uh, in Western Europe. And if that happens, uh, you're likely to see a flow of funds into uh, fixed income, into those safe haven assets. And when that happens, you'll see an, an increase in their uh, in their prices. And so, not only do investors at this point in time benefit from yields that haven't been seen in many years. But there's also the potential for material capital appreciation. So a total return yield plus price appreciation uh, that stands to benefit the fixed income investor uh, based on our current economic forecast. So Warren, let's shift gears a little bit. Again, we've mentioned that there are a lot of things happening in the world at the moment. And one of those things, obviously, is the uh, geopolitical tensions we're seeing in the Middle East. I'm wondering uh, what effect that will have on the global economy and, and the different asset classes. Well, there are a variety of outcomes that, uh, that could play out. Uh, I think from a humanitarian standpoint, many people hope that uh, that conflict is resolved soon and without further bloodshed. But there, there is a chance that that conflict widens. Uh, and given that this is the Middle East, a key producer of uh, crude oil, Roughly 30% of the, the world's crude, uh, is produced by OPEC plus and, or OPEC and its, um, its affiliates. Uh, there is a chance that, uh, we could see a constrained supply for crude oil. Constrained supply means higher prices and that puts upward pressure on inflation. Energy commodities are a key input uh, to uh, goods inflation in the short term and to services inflation in the longer term. So there's a chance. We we think it's a, it's a lesser chance than um, a uh, negotiated solution uh, and end to those hostilities. But there is a chance uh, that that conflict widens uh, and it leads to more of the inflation pressures that the world has been grappling with for the past 18 or 24 months. More inflation means more central bank tightening, uh, and that could put further pressure on the global economy and make that recession that we were talking about uh, more, protra- more protracted, longer, and potentially more severe. So maybe just to put a bow on it, uh, Warren, how should an investor cope with all these cross-currents affecting today's global economy? Well, there are a couple of, uh, actually several, adages or, uh, or key tenets that we often recommend to, to clients when talking about how to grapple with uncertainty uh, and with volatility. And the first is to diversify. Make sure that uh, your portfolio uh, has a mix of equities, uh, fixed income, alternative assets potentially, that over the long haul, 
meet re- your return requirements and do so uh, with a level of risk or volatility that's uh, consistent uh, with your preferences. There's lots of work that we and others have done that shows that a diversified portfolio helps to optimize or maximize risk-adjusted return. That is the amount of return that a portfolio delivers for the volatility that an investor is willing to take. And so figuring out what that mix is and sticking to it is key. And holding on to that mix over over many years uh, in order to deliver investor returns that are consistent with that investor's long-term objectives. Uh, the other uh, is to remain invested. So the, the world and its its financial markets have been have become far more integrated. They absorb and discount information very, very quickly. Uh, it is tough to time markets, i.e. to sell at the top and buy at the bottom. To do that once is quite a feat. To do that multiple times accurately is next to impossible. So staying invested and uh, sticking to that asset mix that we just uh, talked about uh, is very important. The the third thing is taking advantage of volatility. So long-term investors have the, the, the ability to benefit from sell-offs in the stock market or any financial market uh, for, for that matter because they've got a long time horizon in mind. Remember, even if we go through a recession uh, as, as we as we expect we might, recessions only last about a year uh, in time. And uh, in the course of that year, risky assets like stocks often bottom and uh, and recover. Um, so they... It, so they don't uh, lead to prolonged losses in portfolios for someone with a 10, 20, or even 30-year time horizon. And the advantage of having that, uh, that long-term outlook is that during that year, year and a half, six months it could be, that those risky assets are depressed, in that mix are going to be high-quality companies or, uh, or assets that sell at very discounted valuations. And for the long-term investor, that should be viewed as an opportunity. When everybody else is selling, think about buying. And that, uh, in combination, that high-quality bias, uh, taking advantage of uh, those sell-offs, maintaining diversification and staying invested are ultimately the uh, the tools uh, and the techniques that lead to long-term investment success. Right. Yeah. Rob and I completely agree. And, and um, I mean, those are things we've been reinforcing with our clients more recently as well. And we also recognize the fact that there are times where it's tougher to do those things. And I think based on conversations we're having, this is one of those times where sort of sticking to the plan, staying invested, looking for those opportunities to buy instead of thinking more along the lines of selling because the market's down. I think we're in a period of time where people are starting to think that way. So we're trying to reinforce those exact same things. So Warren, with that, uh, just want to thank you for joining us today and hopefully have you back again in the future to provide uh, more insight. And again, there's lots going on. So I'm sure the next time around, There'll be a a whole different group of topics to discuss. Robert, Steve, thanks very much for the time. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Warren. Thanks, Warren. So, Steve, as always, great to have Warren join us. Great to get a broad global macro view and everything that's happening that's out there. And there's a very famous investor that I'm sure everyone knows, Mr. Warren Buffett. He always said, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful.
So to Warren's point, just look for opportunities. Right. And I think for those listeners out there, we sort of alluded to some of the conversations that are coming in. There is fear out there, right? People are looking at September statements and their value of their portfolio may be down. So that induces a bit of fear. And then the reaction is to look at selling as opposed to looking at it as a buying opportunity. So having that sort of counterintuitive thinking at this time can be quite productive in terms of overall returns. So to Warren's last point, just looking for those opportunities. But more importantly, stay the course, stay invested, keep your asset allocation where it should be. Those things are really paramount. Yeah, speak to your financial advisor. That's what we're here for. Good point, Rob. And with that, speaking of financial advisors, I'm Stephen Ellis. And I'm Robert Wolfson. And we are a couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.